You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. This is Casey and Sarah talking to you today about somebody that I don't know about Sarah, literally knew nothing about. Um, Sarah, did you know anything about her? I knew the very basics. I knew the like one line. She was this and this, but that's all about. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard, I've heard her name before, but I don't think I actually have known anything about her. Yeah. I, I knew like a one line and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we are looking at Hetty Lamar. I think I said her name right now. That's how I say it. So Um, we've been on like a mini one week hiatus because your girl has not been able to get her shit together. So it's just been like one thing after another. But I'm super glad we're sitting down to talk about her today because she's fucking awesome. And I don't know. Sarah told me to stop researching after basically like she gets to Hollywood. So I straight up don't know anything about this. I have just one good like bombshell, like randomly in there. That's just like so weird and random towards the end that I'm very excited to get to because it's just such good like drama and the rest is all like business is normal. And then there's this one weird thing. Yes. Yeah. And she actually has some, there's some science. There's some like Hollywood. Yeah. That's what I pretty much knew. Like she was a Hollywood actress who also invented like Bluetooth. That's what, yes, basically what, That's I, what knew. I knew of her too. Yeah. And then it's funny because I actually listened to another podcast called Her Story and I don't think they talked about Hedy Lamar, or maybe they did. And that's why I feel like I'd heard of her, but I didn't really like, I had the skin sound terrible. I didn't fully pay attention. Yeah. And they mentioned something about like one of her films being like one of the most controversial films of the 20th century, which is what my little <laughs> rant is going to be about, which I'm so stoked. But yeah, I mean, let's just dive right into her. So now, not only does this woman seem like the coolest, badass, most, I don't even know, all over the place Hollywood star, she also has like the coolest fucking name. Right? Like her actual name is cool as hell. Yes. Um. So on November 9th, 1914, Hedwig Eva Kessler was born Hedwig. in Vienna. Hedwig. Yeah. Like Hedwig the Owl, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, like Hedwig. Yep. Just uh, great she name. She born... Oh, it's so good. And that's why she was called Hetty. Derp, derp. Like, I figured yeah. that out. I, I, have like a, my I have a nice story about, like, how she gets called Hetty specifically. Oh, good. But it comes from Hedwig. Okay, yeah. I don't think she... I don't know when she was called Hetty. Like, I think she went by the name when she got more into acting. I didn't actually see anything about that. So if you hear yeah. it, if you about it, just interrupt me. Okay, so she was born in Vienna, Austria, uh, to Emil Keisler... And Gertrude Trude Keisler. And is it Trude really or love, Trudy? Is it Trudy? Oh my I don't god! Probably fucking Trudy. And I just said Trude like an idiot. <laughs> no, I can't. It. That's not how Sarah, people you should... just let me say Trude. <laughs> well, I only ask because I looked at it because that's not how people normally spell Trudy. Right, and so I was curious. I mean, what do you spell Trudy with a Y? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, we're starting off. No, it's fine. I'm starting off very strong. Ladies and I thought you said we're starting sentence. over. This is <laughs> sentence one. So I probably could start over if I really wanted to, but I'm going to keep this in. No, leave so, it in. Her family was well off, and her mother, Trudy, was a pianist that came from an upper class Hungarian Jewish family in Budapest, and her father was a successful bank manager. So Trudy later. 
I think converted to Catholicism. Yeah, one of her husbands made her. Yeah, of uh, Hetty's father kind of like insisted that her mother convert to Catholicism. So yeah, and I read one of her husbands was Catholic, and so I think it was like, well, you're marrying a Catholic guy, and yeah, so like she was like kind of Jewish, but also kind of not Jewish. She was like ethnically Jewish. Yes, exactly. And and I mean, and actually is super important. Obviously, it's important now for identity, but like it's really important because she's in Vienna, Austria in the 1914. So like, you know, what's going to happen in like 20 years. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's why I put in questions, which I don't get because I thought she was Jewish help. So fair. (laughs) So Hetty was the only child. So being the only child, she received a lot of attention, especially from her father. Yeah, I'm not an only child. I don't understand. I mean, I know what it means, but yeah, like my I, father would be like, you got plenty of attention. I'm Shut also up. the only grandchild on both sides. So you're the only child and the only grandchild. Uh-huh. So you just get whatever. Basically. <laughs> Explains a lot. That's awesome. Um, so her father especially gave her a lot of attention. I think it was probably like a dad's little girl kind of thing. But his daughter and him would actually go on these walks around Vienna And they would talk about how different machines worked. Even though he wasn't, like, an inventor, he actually would, like, ask Hetty what she thought about how cars worked or how stoplights worked or something like that. I'm trying to think of things that were around in 1914. Mm -hmm. Well, stoplights especially because she does go on to modify and make the stoplight, I think, better. Which I don't know how you can make it better, but... I mean, probably um, from whatever it was in nineteen like twenty, I'm sure it could right. be better. It was like a, it was like a man like hanging on a post, like just like right. switching, well, <laughs> switching the red and the green like cards together. Yeah. That's what were like they even stopping the horses? No, I think there were cars. I think it's like right around when there were cars. Yeah, yeah, but they probably needed horses and buggies to stop too, right? Yeah, true. How do you do that though? How do you? We got to look this up. I'll look this up later because I'm I could go off for the whole day on this. I don't know why it's so fascinating to me. So at the same time that Hetty was exposed to this idea of like science, you know, she would be known to take her music box apart and put it back together. Um, She was also really exposed to the arts because of her mother's career as a concert pianist. And so she was enrolled in ballet and piano classes at an early age. And it was also when she started to show an interest in acting. Okay. Okay. So here we go. So Hetty's brilliance was totally ignored because of her beauty. And I have to be honest, she's stunning. Oh, she is beautiful. Like, I can't even fathom that this woman looked like this. Like, she was like real. Like, I literally tried to find video clips. I was like, does it move? It's like a person. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, I watched part of the video that the movie that I'm going to talk about and like, she just, like, I don't know what she looked like as an old person because I know that she ended up getting, like, a lot of plastic surgery, I think, to, like, yeah. keep her beauty. But, which is kind of a bummer because I feel like she probably would have grown up beautiful. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but she was still pretty like, from what I saw. I saw some stuff of her, like, older and she was still pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we're also talking about, like, society's norms and all that bullshit. Right. But, like, true. Like, legit, though, you can look on the Instagram, like, she's stunning. Yeah. So... Because that's all women are good for. Uh Um, She got to be really well known for the way that she looked and the way that she acted. And just four years later, after she started taking um, 
classes uh, at the age of 12. She won her first beauty contest. And then when she was 16, Hetty forged her mother's signature in order to go to a place called Sasha Film, which was the largest film production company in Austria at the time. And so they produced silent films and early sound films. And when she got there, she like pretended like she was six. She was, uh, I think maybe she pretended like she was 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And she got a job as a script girl, which I thought sounded kind of very like, what's that word I'm looking for? Like, um, like very old Hollywood. Like, oh, yeah, script girl. You know what I the mean? Script like, girl. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, where's the script girl? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my like, god, that was of- so good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just like that's what I thought of the whole time I wrote this whole section. Oh my god. So. Her job was to ensure the continuity of the actors and set with their costumes, design, makeup, hair, etc. And to basically make notes so the editors knew where to cut the film. Which is, like, a really important job. Yeah. Because, you know, you're talking about making sure that the film looks basically real. You know what I mean? So there's um, a big sense of, like, making sure that everything looks as real as possible so that the viewers are like really entranced in the movie but the roles were very common but they were pretty much like ignored by production Mm -hmm. like there was no production recognition whatsoever and ironically you were mostly um finding script girls being women um i think there was also something there was like another term for it but it came to just be called script girl okay okay so her first role came in a film in 1930. So she was cast as an extra in a movie called Money on the Street. And then she got a small speaking part in another movie called Storm in a Water Glass the following year. Which these, like, fucking titles, by the way, are... I know. Incredible. Like, incredible. It makes sense why things like Singing in the Rain, like, these are long movie titles. Now, today, I feel like it's the shorter the better. Yeah. It's like one word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but these, these were all, like, like, the car that goes down the street and turns left and sees a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, it's, like, the longer, the better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um. So, let's see. She was, like... I wonder... Story. Sorry, this is random. But like, Go for it. They probably didn't have as many ways to advertise it, right? Like, there's not a trailer or something everyone's going to see in a tweet. So, maybe they had to use the title to, like, convey what it was about at all. Probably. I mean, so, like, I look at the films, right? So, Money on the Street could be about money found on the street. <laughs> like, yeah, somebody found a quarter on the sidewalk. A, I assume it's about a hooker, I guess. Then I thought maybe it's about, like, a, a sex worker, right? Like, yeah. Maybe it's, or somebody found a dollar, like, or someone's throwing money on the street. Um, But then I think of... Storm in a water glass. Yeah, that's fair. My theory might fall apart there. No, but like, what if it is in fact about a storm in a water glass? Like, that's some that's some sci-fi level shit in the thirties. That's true. It's probably not. And like, though. is she the storm, or is she the water, or is she the glass, or Ooh. is she the storm in the water in the glass? But probably not because she was just an extra and she got like a small speaking. Right. Role. So she probably wasn't any of those. In that yeah, she case. was none of those things. She was like. Random girl on street with money. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They were like, you were in money on the street. You're highly qualified. Um, um, I'd like to read you a one sentence synopsis of the film Storm in a Water Glass. Holy shit, you found it? Yeah, it's on Wikipedia. You're incredible. Go. An ambitious town councilor feels confident he will be elected the next mayor 
But a dispute over a mongrel dog owned by a local flower seller rapidly turns into a scandal which threatens his political career. What? <laughs> That's what it's about. That storm in a water glass? I guess, okay. It's okay, a small right, town. Up. It's a small the- town, right? Yep. So it's like a whole storm, like all this crazy shit is happening in the little water glass. Yes. Like big fish yes. in a small pond type thing. That's that's exactly what I was thinking when you said that. Okay, so it's basically like, here's a water glass, which you want to be still. Right. Calm, but instead, we're going to shake it up, literally. Right. And like, how could all of that be happening in one small water glass? I just want to say that if this is a movie where the dog dies at the end, I'm not I'm, interested. I don't know that answer. That one sentence is literally all there is. Is that whole... That's just one sentence? That's just one sentence. It is... Wikipedia has a section that says synopsis. It is that sentence and that's all. Oh my god. That's like a one sentence too long. I feel like it's... Yeah. It needs to just be... I think we should just like let it be open to interpretation. I agree. <laughs> it is based... So the film it's based on was titled Storm in a Teacup. Oh my god. <laughs> so, but like... What? Same idea... How's that any better? It's. I didn't say it was better. <laughs> oh my god! Storm in a teacup. That's so ridiculous. Oh, I like the visual. Storm in a water glass seems like I don't know, like poignant. Yeah. Oh, apparently I'm like googling now. Apparently, it's a Yiddish idiom. Oh shit! It's what a storm it in a water glass means much ado about nothing, right? Big deal about a little nothing. thing. Which is also what isn't is that Shakespeare? Yeah, that's Shakespeare. Huh. Maybe it's a retelling of Shakespeare? I don't think so. It I, it seems like that's just like a way of, like the idiom means the same thing, right? Like much ado about nothing is similar to saying like a storm in a water glass, like a big deal over nothing. Okay. Yeah, I think we're taking this too literally, which I'm yeah. actually kind of disappointed because I think a storm. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. No, don't apologize. I, I like our version better. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should try to create a whole new retelling of storm in a water glass i agree so other than her small speaking part <laughs> in storm in a water yes. glass uh hetty was later discovered by producer max reinhardt who then cast her in a play titled the weaker sex <laughs> of fucking course oh she was in a play um, about men yeah <laughs> yeah no it was actually about women unfortunately but you know it's 1930, so <laughs> Reinhardt was super impressed with her talent, actually. So he arranged for her to return to Berlin with him so that she could continue to study acting. And then from there, she was cast in a series of films and eventually earned her first lead in the movie No Money Needed, directed by Carl Bosey. Yeah, I don't know. Bose? Trudy? Yeah. And with the money. Dude, I'm so mad about that. I really can't. <laughs> Okay, so this is it. This is okay. My I'm ready. In all caps. So, but the next film that Hetty would star in would be the one that would launch her career and bring her into international fame and stardom. Bump, bump, bump. <laughs> Ecstasy. Yay. So, really quick, it's not about the drug ecstasy. Okay. <laughs> That's important. When I texted you earlier, I was about to be like, yeah, I can't wait to talk about ecstasy. And then I was like, you know, I, I, she knows. That I did know that. that. Like, what if she's like, oh, Jesus, Casey, we got to have a conversation. <laughs> no, I did know ecstasy was a film she did. 
Okay. Yeah, this is, like, her most well-known film, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. At least in the sense that it was, like, real controversial. So, for all of your listening pleasure, I'm going to pretty much retell the story of Ecstasy. So, hopefully, you have zero desire to see it, or you just want to YouTube it, which you can. Perfect. Um, But I can tell you that my storytelling is going to be better. Yeah. At the age of 18, Hetty is given the lead role in Gustav Ma... 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 (laughs) wanted to call him machete Ma- <laughs> it looks it looks like machete Ma- kind of machetize makati hey Machati. like that's <laughs> okay gustav's movie ecstasy and she <laughs> she played the role of a young wife of an indifferent older man and this is where i go on a tangent here's the premise and basically the response to the movie ecstasy so okay. she plays the role of ava which I think is interesting because that's her middle name. Okay. And she marries a man named Emil, LOL, her dad's name. So, like, Awkward. this is weird and super gross, but whatever. So, um, Emil is described as an orderly old man. And the movie starts out with him carrying his wife, Eva, over the threshold of their home. And he's unable to get the right key in the lock. So, that's not a euphemism. It is. He literally is. It is definitely a euphemism, but it's also not. Like, he straight up can't find the right key to open the door to his home. So, he's not starting off super strong. Um, Things only got worse for Eva because as he's removing her pearls on their wedding night, he pinches his fingers and he therefore is unable to consummate their marriage. I don't know why i mean if he was removing it with his penis that would probably make a lot of sense like right you know if you pinched your penis like, on a oh no i can't have sex my finger hurts right that's literally the premise this is this is how the movie starts anyway okay long story short emil basically ignores ava and she's therefore miserable and she refuses to live in a loveless marriage yes queen so mm-hmm. she leaves emil and she's actually granted a divorce from him because i feel like in some ways Europeans were more progressive, but whatever. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, other ways, not so much, but in some ways, yes. So she moves back to her father's horse breeding farm, which is a very specific thing. Um, Uh And so one day, Eva decides to go horseback riding, and it's a beautiful summer day. And then she decides to go skinny dipping, which, incidentally, the word skinny dipping has its own Wikipedia page. Okay. I, like, was, like, Googling stuff, and it was, like, skinny dipping on Wikipedia. And I was, like, how could this possibly have its own article? But it does? does. Okay. So maybe we need to do history of skinny dipping. Probably. So, (laughs) so silly Eva leaves her clothes on her horse, and then that horse wanders off. And that horse wanders off to go hang out with, like, a mare that he thinks is super hot, I guess. Okay. I'm not kidding when I say there's, like, there's, like, a scene of her swimming naked and like you can just barely see underneath the water so you like know for sure she's naked but like then you see the horse and the horse just kind of like decides to like wander off and you see him like walking his way over to this like mare that's in a paddock and they're like nuzzling each other and i was like that's his old girlfriend yes exactly but he leaves eva stranded without her clothes oh my god what's she gonna do so this is where adam enters into the conversation wait Adam is Eva and Adam. Yep. Yes, you are. Because I thought the same thing when I first was reading it. I was like, "This sounds familiar." And then I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Adam and Eve." Like, Adam and Eve. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it does end a little differently though. Oh, okay. Um, so Adam <laughs> is described as quote of 
oh fuck i don't know why i can't say this word of vi- virial virial virile 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 something a viral, like that a viral as quote a viral he's young fertile. engineer fertile fertile oh yeah he's fertile that's what it means <laughs> it's like fertile you pronounce it like no fertile. he is fertile <laughs> oh my god yes yeah, so he's a young engineer working in road construction so like we're also starting to get into this like kind of like porn area yeah this is is fine Mm -hmm. i'm here for it but like it's basically porn so he sees ava struggling right so basically she like runs after the horse and she's like oh my god come back come back so she's chasing this horse naked okay and adam's like watching her and Mm. then all of a sudden yeah she he like goes to help ava and she's like oh my god and she like hides in the bushes because she's so embarrassed to be caught running naked i mean i would probably also do that Oh, 1,000%. I would be exactly doing what she's doing. I, in right. fact, I don't even think I would have skinny dipped in the first place. Well, no, like, but... Nope, too cold. So Ava originally is, like, ashamed of her nudity. And then there's this, like, moment where she basically is like, okay, fuck this. And then she decides to glare at Adam, quote, in defiance. So she kind of, like, you can see her, like, in the trees, in the bushes. And she, like, kind of looks at him like, that's right. I'm a naked woman. What you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And then he's kind of just like nothing i just wanted to hand you your clothes and she's like yeah it's just hey, fuck you but like there's some obvious tension between the two of them and so right, that because night, she's naked and he's virile right <laughs> exactly yep so adam helps her get home and then that night eva isn't able to sleep because she's only thinking about how young and virile adam is and so she decides to go to his house and they do adult things there so this is the part that actually matters, even though my storytelling is on point. Yep. This is actually what, like, is the biggest thing for Hetty. So while they're doing these adult things, quote, in the throes of passion. Wait, I want to back up. How yes. does she know where his house is? I don't know. I okay. there's That's a huge fucking plot hole. Okay, <laughs> just checking. I watched this, and the whole time I was like, how did she know how to get there? Yeah. And I didn't see anything that was indicative of... Like, you said it, and I didn't really think about it, but I looked at your note that says, like, she goes to his home, and I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Where the fuck is his home? Right. I guess, I guess, no, but he's not even, like, a ranch hand or whatever the hell they call him in Vienna. He's an engineer. He's an engineer. He's a road worker, like, a construction worker. Right, and she can't just, like, white pages him. Right. So, I don't, no, I don't remember if they talked at all. It just seemed like she was naked, he gave her her clothes back, and then walked her home so I, I don't know man i didn't write this movie okay i mean <laughs> i yes. can't even pronounce virile <laughs> viral <laughs> it means something so different now so in the throes of passion eva's finger snapping pearl necklace <laughs> breaks the same one that broke her husband's figure or whatever this fucking the fuck necklace this <laughs> necklace <laughs> yeah it's like crazy so the necklace falls to the floor Okay. And the next morning, she totally forgets to grab it. And then the thing that's ultimately going to connect the two mm-hmm. is going to come back into play. But okay. what's important about this scene is that her face is shown while she's orgasming. Ecstasy. Which is ecstasy. Yep, there it is. So that's the first time that this has ever been shown on camera. Okay. Um, A female's like, face or anyone's. I think anyone's. That's okay. the vibe I got. So what's interesting... Well, I'll get into it. I'll get into it after I kind of get through why everybody hated it. Because everyone's a bunch of prudes. So 
Ava gets home. She discovers that her ex-husband, Emil, has been waiting for her all night because he wants to make up with her, but she effectively tells him that it's too late, so he leaves and he's all bummed. So by chance, Emil is driving into town and he encounters Adam. And Adam catches a ride into town with Emil and he stops at Adam's home. Adam's like, hey, I got to pack a bag. Um, I guess he and Eva had decided to like meet up and then like escape to somewhere else. Um, And so they catch a ride and um, Emil stops at Adam's home so he can pack. And Emil notices the pearl necklace on the floor. And then Adam's like, oh, shit, the pearl necklace. So he picks it up and he's like admiring it. And then all of a sudden Emil's like, oh, that's the one that broke my finger. Like, (laughs) for whatever. (laughs) So he gets super jealous. My name is Emil. You killed my finger. (laughs) Prepare to die. Um, my name is is inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die prepare to die yes the man with 10 fingers or something yeah he has six fingers on one hand (laughs) six fingers on one hand (laughs) oh my god the man with the fingers like that's my drag name (laughs) everyone's like i have 10 fingers oh my god so you know the man the one with 10 fingers and everyone's like yes i do know that man that's almost every man i know (laughs) that's such a a difficult way to figure out like who killed your father it's like he has the 10 fingers. fingers. Like, that totally defeats the purpose of the sixth <laughs> finger. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so Technically sorry. Technically speaking, he always says he has six fingers on one hand, but not how many are on the other. So, right. <laughs> so he could only have four on the other, and he would be the man with 10 fingers. I'm, like, crying right now because, like, I'm just... <laughs> Oh my god, okay. This is the content <laughs> people are here for. Yes, hello. Okay, so Emil drives Adam into town, and there's this, like, scene. <laughs> this isn't funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> where he, like, is so jealous and angry that he considers driving himself and Adam into an oncoming train. Oh, okay. Do. Yeah, it's, like, really nuts. So he doesn't. He and Adam actually end up staying in the same hotel. And so Emil sits alone, like the next scene cuts and Emil sitting alone in a hotel room and like a couple levels downstairs, Adam is arranging flowers as he waits in the hotel restaurant because he and Ava decide to like run away together and they're going to have like a nice dinner beforehand. Um, All of this is happening very fast. This is even Mm -hmm. fast for Disney standards, but um, this is not a Disney film just in general. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is not a Disney film. (laughs) Everyone's like, holy shit, Disney Disney. I knew Disney was dark, but I didn't know it was this dark. That dark, yeah. So, <clears throat> so while the lovers are drinking and dancing, they hear a gunshot, and then everybody runs to the room, which does not seem smart. No. As someone who listens to a stupid amount of true crime podcasts, not what you're supposed to do. No. And they discover that what I would do, has- though. Right, me too. Well, no, I would run like a fucking baby. No, my friend it's- told me once that I was going to die a white woman's death from being nosy. Mm. You've said that before, and I love that. That is, like, one of my favorite quotes. Real. Yeah, for sure. So she is, she, like, runs up there with Adam and sees that it's Emil, and she's, like, super sad, but she, like, doesn't tell anybody that that's her ex-husband, which... Fair. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart. Like, you don't want to draw suspicion to yourself. You're a queen, Ava. Anyway, I'm almost done, I promise. So, that night, 
Adam and Ava <laughs> were supposed to take the train <laughs> to Berlin to start their new life together. But while waiting at the train station, Adam falls asleep and Ava slips quietly away and leaves him. And so she, quote, leaves on a different train without Adam because of the guilt that she feels over the suicide of her former husband, Emil. When Adam awakes, he realizes that Eva has left him without a word. Later, he returns to his work in construction and daydreams of Eva. Adam imagines Eva happily holding his baby. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> so, <coughs> so there's a lot happening. Yeah. So what's the problem, you might ask? Great question. I'm so glad you did. So the film was controversial for a couple reasons, mostly because of the naked running and naked swimming, as well as the scene where her face is shown during her orgasm. But also, and this is the one that actually bothered me the most, is that it was because the way that sex was presented was pleasurable and mm, what's the word I'm looking for? She liked it. Um, it's not so much she liked it. It's kind of more like it was a scandalous way to be having sex. Gotcha. Like if Adam were her husband, it wouldn't have been like that big of a deal. Well, because she was like a divorced young woman who sought out Adam for his company. It was like illicit. Okay. That's kind of the best way to describe it. Yeah. Okay. So later, what's interesting is that Hetty claims later in interviews a couple different things. So first off... She claims that she was tricked into the nude scenes by the director. So according to one interview, quote, when Lamar applied for the role, she had little uh, experience nor understood the planned filming. She was anxious for the job and she signed the contract without reading it. <clears throat> Sorry. When during an outdoor scene, the director told the, when during an outdoor scene, the director told her to disrobe, she protested and threatened to quit. But he said that if she refused, she would have to pay for the cost of all the scenes already filmed. To calm her, he said they were using, quote, long shots in any case, and no intimate details would be visible. Mm. At the preview in Prague, sitting next to the director, when she saw the numerous close-ups produced with her telephoto lenses, she screamed at him for tricking her. Yeah. But then other people were like, no, she knew what she was doing, and that's cool. Like, she was right. off the role of Ava. She, tur like, I mean, if she knew what she was doing, that's cool. If they tricked her, that's shitty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think... I think she did know because other actresses had been offered the role, but okay. had turned it down because of the script. Gotcha. Like, I don't remember the actress's name or the name of her husband because he was a scumbag. <laughs> but basically, um, she was offered the role and her husband read the script and was like, no, you're not fucking taking this. Um, and others said that Lamar knew she was going to be naked and didn't ever complain about it during the production. Like, she was like, yeah, that's fine. This is part of what it is. Um so besides the nudity debacle, there were issues with, <laughs> I love that word, that, debacle? that phrase. The nudity, nudity debacle. debacle. Yeah. Also my drag um, name. <laughs> Ten-fingered man and nudity debacle. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Um, so there were also issues with getting places to actually buy the rights to show the film. So okay. it was banned in Germany and then re-released in 1935 with edited scenes. And then there was a Vatican journalist who attended a screening of it at the Oh, shit. It was an Italian film festival. I should have written that down. Whatever. It doesn't matter. A Vatican journalist was there, saw the movie, was like, <gasps> so he tells, like, the Pope, oh, my God, this is terrible. And the Pope's like, don't go see this film. Um, so nobody who was Catholic went to go see the film because this was back when I think people still listened to the Pope. Um, does that make, do you know what I mean when yeah. I say that? Yeah. Okay. Like, because I feel more. like today it's a little bit chiller. Also, this Pope is way chiller. So I feel like 
you know, that makes a huge difference. Um, But because of that, none of the Italian distributors bought the rights for the distribution either. And then in the U.S., they fought to get the Hayes Code seal of approval, which was like something that basically needed in order to be shown at most common theaters. I mean, there were still like ratings, but like it was nothing like what they have today. It was just kind of like a basic in order to be seen by the public kind of thing. But the film was called highly, even dangerously indecent, quote, which is pretty cool. I think that's fucking oh, awesome. I get That's my drag name. Highly Dang. even dangerously. <laughs> yes. <innocent. laughs> um, it only had a limited run in America and it played mostly at independent art houses, but the States kind of decided to either approve it, cut it or ban it altogether. So like some places like New York didn't give a shit. They're like, yeah, you can show it. Some places like Pennsylvania banned the film outright. Other places allowed like edited versions of it to be played. So that's kind of like her big scandalous film. Um, The last little part I'll talk about is just a touch into her early marriage, because I know you talk about her marriages, but this is kind of important for how it's going to lead off into like when she moves into Hollywood. So other than her film career, Hetty also played a variety of stage roles, including the starring one in a play called Sissy, where she portrayed Empress Elizabeth of Austria, who is crazy fucking cool. Have you ever heard of her? I don't think so. Okay, she definitely has to be an episode because, like, she had... She was basically... I think she was Hungarian, but she really helped bridge the gap between Austria and Hungary when it was Austria-Hungary. Because I'm pretty sure she was an empress of the Holy Roman Empire. But I'm getting into this all to say she was, like, crazy obsessed with her beauty and her size. And she had, like... she was like super tiny and she did these like really fucked up things to her body, but it it was really interesting. Like I'm not selling it well, but she is a fascinating historical character. Quick side note. Also, if you Google sissy, the play Pornhub comes up. So don't, or do Google sissy, the play. Cause like I sissy, the play, what does that look like? And then it's like two things down. It was Pornhub. I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm ready to click on this right now, but I'm kind of intrigued. So anyway, (laughs) Sissy premiered in 1933 around the same time as Ecstasy, and the play won accolades from uh, critics, quote unquote, and people became low-key obsessed with her, including this guy named Friedrich Mandel. Mandel? Yes. Friedrich Mandel? Is it Mandel? I said Mandel in my head. Oh no, Mandel. Mandel. Like handle, but for a man. Yeah. Not just any old handle, but a right, man. Mandel, right? Or like oh sandal for a man. <laughs> sandal for a man. That's exactly what it is. So Friedrich Mandel was an arms merchant and munitions manufacturer who was quote the third richest man in Austria. Quote an eighteen year old Hetty married him because I mean, like he was the third richest man in Austria. Right, and he was like fucking obsessed with her. Like he literally like doted on her and he did this whole like right i'm gonna buy you everything you want and but i'm also gonna be a fucking monster so basically fun facts about mandel uh he didn't wear sandals but he Hmm. did have ties to benito mussolini and adolf hitler okay (laughs) he confuses me because i tried looking up a bunch about this guy and i found a bunch of articles that were like he was really anti-nazi and then a bunch of articles that were like he was buddies with hitler and i'm like well it was one of those I think that he was buddies, mostly because I feel like he did a lot of trades with um, Italy yeah. in, I think, like the 20s. And so that was when um, Mussolini was really, like, building up 
his whole like fascist regime down there. So, and Mussolini was Hitler's like idol. So yeah, I feel like a, I have some like notes about conflicting information about he sucked in general, but oh yeah. Yeah, I, my next note is he was a controlling piece of shit who prevented her from pursuing her acting career yes. during their marriage. Um, Mandel also brought Hetty along with him to business meetings where he conferred with scientists and other professionals involved in military technology, quote unquote. Mm. And that's going to be important yes. because this is actually where Hetty becomes introduced to the applied science field and she right. becomes more interested in like nurturing this passion for science after engaging with all of these different people. What's also interesting is Mandel... <laughs> Quote, reportedly spent $280,000 or $5.53 million in 2019 in an unsuccessful attempt to suppress the film Ecstasy by purchasing every existing print. Oh. Because he did not like that his wife's naked body and his wife's orgasm right. face was all over the place. Obviously. Another fun fact I forgot to mention is that her orgasm face was supposedly the result of her being stuck with a pin. That's which not the things I make when I stuck with a pin. I don't know. Like, I, part of me was like, should I stick myself with a pin and see what my face does? But, like, it's I not, hope that's not... It's not the same what, face. Right. Like, I hope I don't look like that. Right. <laughs> I'm not thinking about it. But, like, oh, my God, I'm thinking about it now. Um, eventually, though, the marriage was too unbearable because <laughs> it sounds fucking awful. And Hetty decided to leave her husband and her home where she flees to London. And in her autobiography... She claims to have, quote, disguised herself as her maid and fled to Paris, quote, while another account claims that she, quote, persuaded Mandel to let her wear all of her jewelry for a dinner party and then disappeared afterward. Regardless, Hetty wrote about this marriage. I knew very soon that I could never be an actress while I was his wife. He was the absolute monarch in his marriage. I was like a doll. I was like a thing, some object of art which had to be guarded and imprisoned, having no mind, no life of its own. So, in 1937, she heads on over to London. That's me. <laughs> and that's okay. you. Yes. So, she arrives in 1937 to London, and she meets Louis Mayer, who at the time is the head of MGM Studios. And he's yes. like, you're gorgeous, you're an actress. He offers her a job at $125 a week. And she's like, wow. No, thanks. Now, I did the math. $125 a week is about $2,000 a week in today's money. So it's like not terrible money, right? Why'd she say no? We'll get. So she's like, no, thank you. She books herself a ticket on the same boat that he's on to New York, right? So, like, whatever oh, fancy okay. boat he's taking, she gets on that boat. And over the, the course. Titanic. Yes. <laughs> and over the course of the trip, she like woos him and becomes friends with him. And he offers her $500 a week, which is $9,000. Oh. So she would. do what? To act? So the way, like, yeah, the way Hollywood worked then, you were almost like on contract with a studio. So, like, mm -hmm. MGM would hire her and then say you're in all these MGM films. You were almost like a salaried employee. You were a salaried employee of the studio rather gotcha. than signing on to individual projects. So, it was like, we're going to okay. give you $500 a week and you are an MGM actress and will be in our stuff. Okay. That's cool, actually. Yes. He does convince her to change her name. So, Hedwig Kiesler at the time is associated with ecstasy, which I wrote is bad and sexy. Um <laughs> Oh, you okay? I literally was oh like, "Wait, the drug ecstasy?" No, the I ecstasy. was like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" We just—I just talked about it for forty fucking minutes, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god, she did ecstasy?" I'm, no, I'm, it's I'm just gonna fucking mute my mic. And you just <laughs> the rest of the Hedwig Kiesler's 
that's the name she's going by when she does the film Ecstasy. So they're like, you've got to change your name. So she decides Hetty is a nickname for Hedwig. I don't know if she went by it before or not, but she says, we're going to do Hetty. And then Louis Mayer's wife suggests Lamar, which is a reference to Barbara Lamar, a silent film actress. Um, So they choose Hetty Lamar. And as soon as they get to Hollywood, he begins promoting her as the world's most beautiful woman in Hollywood. He introduces her to all these people, including Walter Wanger, which is a great name. (laughs) Wanger? Wanger. I mean, it could be Wanger, but Wanger. No, it's Wanger. Yeah. Wanger. And so he was a producer, and at the time he was making a movie called Algiers, which was based on a French film. So she gets cast in the lead right away, and the film becomes like a huge national sensation. Right. So she's billed as someone who's unknown but popular in Austria, and it creates this sort of sense of mystery and suspense around her. Right. Like Mm, there's this new Austrian actress. Her name isn't connected to the film Ecstasy. So there's not that knowledge. It's just like she's this up and coming, like unknown in America who just got here from Austria. And also, a lot of people in America hadn't actually seen the film because it was exactly. And it's not mm-hmm. like there's the internet where people had heard of it. So she's just like right. this because unknown Pornhub sissy. Exactly. <laughs> um, so there's viewer accounts of like seeing this film Algiers for the first time that literally say everyone in the theater like gasped when she appeared on screen. That Lamar's beauty literally took one's breath away. So partially she was getting promoted as being like mysterious and beautiful, right? So she shows up on screen and everyone gasps. She gets kind of (laughs) typecast after this movie as a glamorous and seductive woman of exotic origin, which uh, she like her next film is a film in which she's cast as a mixed race woman. She is, you'll recall, like a white Austrian woman. Yeah. But she has a white. Yeah, she has an accent <laughs> and like wow i didn't even think of the accent but yeah i guess it's like slightly exotic looking right she, they know she's from another country so they will literally throughout time just like cast her as whatever the fuck they want um didn't they do that with i mean they did that with a lot of people, yeah i mean though. they didn't cast actresses of color at the time that's not okay like who, like who played cleopatra oh um elizabeth taylor elizabeth Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not good. It's not Hetty's fault, but it's not good. Um, right. So she gets like, and it's like a woman, bene- like a white woman benefiting from an oppressive system that's right. only mildly oppressive to her, but majorly oppressive right. to other people. Yeah. Not great, but okay. So she gets cast as that mixed race woman. She has one movie that's got a bunch of like Hollywood drama. So it's called I Take This Woman. And in the middle Ooh. of the shoot, it changed directors and the movie got put put on hold. And she goes, she like ends up taking the role of the woman and it gets made, but it flops like terribly. So this is her one like big flop during this time. Okay. But then she has two more hits. So movies called Boomtown and Comrade X are like huge hits and she's back being like. Those are cool fucking titles. Right. Boomtown and what was the other one? Comrade X. That sounds cool as fuck. That sounds like what MK Ultra should have been. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Comrade um, X. She, ba- I literally wrote like blah 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 a bunch more success because I would just be listing out all these movies she did. Like she's just yeah. a big Hollywood star. She worked with Clark Gable. She worked with Judy Garland. Like all the big names you think of, she's on their level in movies with them. You know who she looks like? Um, Vivian Lee. Yeah, I can see that. Like when I first was researching her, because I before I was like a fucking 
mildly woke ass woman. I loved Gone with the Wind as a kid. And I don't actually hate myself for that because I was like in seventh grade. Yeah. And I mean, what seventh grader fucking reads Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind? Like just me, pretty much. Right. Um, Fair. but it actually is what really got me interested in history in the first place. But when I first saw the pictures of Hetty, I was like, damn, girl looks like Vivian Lee, who played Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah, she does. I can see that. Yeah. Um, probably the worst of the casting situation is a movie called White Cargo in 1942, in which she plays a Native American woman, I wrote, which mm. just, fine. <laughs> like, fine. Um, Here's my question. Yeah. Why is it so hard to just cast a Native American woman? I don't know. I mean, but I'm saying this not knowing anything about the film, so, like, realistically, this could have been, like, a terrible thing to be cast as. And I mean, it probably also was, but still. Right. It was called White Cargo. White Cargo. Like cargo pants. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so the, the yeah. movie is like a huge hit. And one of the big things here is that she's actually given top billing over the male lead, Fuck which yeah, is girl. really rare. And so that's like why it's kind of a big thing. It, it contains what's kind of like her most memorable quote. Um, which it says delivered with provocative invitation. Um, but the line is just, and I'm going to say this name of her character wrong, but it's, I am Tondaleo. I make Tiffin for you, which Tiffin is like a word for like a light meal in in India. Yes. In India, not so, because at first I saw an Indian word for type of meal and then I clicked it more and it was like India, the country, India, not India, like native American Indian. Sorry, so she's playing an Indian woman? She's playing a Native woman. Of India. No, like a Native American woman. I think they just, like, 1942 <gasps> Googled Indian word for meal. Oh, <laughs> dear. No. I mean, I don't. it could have carried over to, like, Native Americans, but it's an Indian word, like the country. So wow. they're not doing great, but that's her line. No. It's a provocative version of, I am Tondaleo, I make Tiffin for you. Um, but this actually, like, even though this is a huge hit and she has top billing, she really has very few lines in most of her movies. They basically just want her pretty face. And so even, like, when she's getting billing over the dude, that's really it. She's being sexy and saying her lines. And Was it because of her language, like, barrier? No. It was because she was hot. Okay. I didn't know, because like, I know that I don't think English was her first language. So, uh, yeah, like, I don't think so, but everything I saw was just, like, they thought she was so pretty they wanted her on screen. But, like, it didn't matter if she was... But was she talented? I mean, people... Things I see say yes. I tal- I mean, when I watched Ecstasy, I thought she was talented, but I yeah. also was like, what From the what fuck I'm am seeing, I watching? It seems so, like, like she's a good actress. I think it was just more um, acting with your face than with words. Yeah. Um, but reportedly she was pretty bored by this, right? Like she, she went on to later say that like she wasn't getting interesting roles. And she also says much later that she was paid less than other actresses because she wouldn't sleep with Lewis Mayer. And I literally wrote, I hope he dies. Well, I guess he's dead, but still. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got your wish. He is dead. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's like fucking what's his face. I don't even Harvey Weinstein. Disgusting, yeah. Yeah. Fucking, like, black couch or whatever. Yep. And so she makes her last movie under MGM in 1945. Um, So it's, like, her last MGM contract movie where she, like, is an MGM employee called Her Highness and the Bellboy. 
I could fuck with that movie. Right? Is and she Her Highness or the Bellboy? Because I think that's I important. assume Her Highness. <laughs> but during this time, so she's still like this huge movie star during all her MGM stuff. And she's like a huge personality, but off screen, she was known to be like lonely and homesick. She almost never went out. She avoided crowds. She would say like she doesn't understand why anyone wanted to talk to her or get her autograph and would kind of cower from it. Oh, my God. But, of course, men were like, that's hot. So the quote I have is, like, Hetty has the most... A woman who knows her place. Yes. It's like, Hetty has the most incredible personal sophistication. She knows the peculiarly European art of being womanly. She knows what men want in a beautiful woman, what attracts them, Mm. and she forces herself to be these things. She has magnetism with warmth, something neither Dietrich nor Garbo has managed to achieve. So, literally, she's like, please stop looking at me, and they're like, that's hot. It's like, fucking, you don't know you're beautiful by that fucking band. Yes. Okay. We love One Direction here. Those lyrics aren't great. you do love One Direction. Those lyrics aren't great, but I do love One Direction. (laughs) All right. All right. Um, She also, a weird (laughs) thing she did that kind of added to this, like, mysterious air was that she would talk herself about herself in third person a lot. What? I don't know. Like... Like Hetty, when Sarah says that, exactly. Nope, I'm not here for that. That shit freaks me out. I don't actually know why. Okay, but so she had this very like weird old Hollywood personality type thing. Yeah. Okay. Um. So when she stops working with MGM, she actually wants to join the National Inventors Council, which I'm sure we'll get into more with your next segment. Yeah. But someone on the National Inventor Council tells her, you know, you'd actually be better off helping the war effort using your celebrity status. Right, like you could make an impact because people know who you are, which and so she that, does realize, yeah. which is shitty. But I mean, it's true. But right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they ask her to sell war bonds. I looked up what war bonds were, and then like three words in, I got really bored. So if you care, you can Google it yourself. I'm going to, but I feel like I could explain it, but I don't actually know. War yeah, bonds, I, I didn't. I was like, I don't like war. I don't like money. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so what I'm pretty sure it is is that you buy it, you pay. You give the government money. Okay, sounds great then, so far. Right, which is like what we only fucking do is give the government money. Basically, it's used to raise money for military operations, and then you can get money back from the government after a certain amount of time. So, like, same thing as, like, security bonds. Okay. When you, like, it's like, I got a shit ton from my, like, christening or whatever. Yeah. Like, over 25, 30 years, they start to collect interest, and then... You can cash them in for money. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, she starts selling those. And so she goes on a tour with a sailor named Eddie Rhodes. And so what would happen is she would be up on stage. I don't even know what she was doing, right? But she would be up on stage. She's and just fucking standing there looking pretty. Yeah. And so this guy, Eddie Rhodes, was in the crowd. And she would call him up. So he was kind of like a plant. Um, <laughs> and so she would briefly flirt with him. And then ask the audience if she should give him a kiss. The crowd would say yes, and she would then say she would kiss him if enough people bought war bonds. And so then they, like, go around, sell the bonds, and then she would kiss him, and he would go back into the audience. So it was this, like, you could get picked type thing, and then it's just like, I'll kiss him if you sell the bonds, and people would literally buy bonds for this rando to get kissed. That's funny, because they probably thought that if she did it for him, they'd probably get a kiss, too. Exactly, or it could be that, right, maybe she would do it again or whatever. Being a fan of Captain America, both the movie and the man, uh-huh. I would absolutely do that. <laughs> right. I would 1,000 fucking percent pay money to watch him kiss someone and then hope that he would kiss me. 
I would yeah. be the plant. I'm fine That's with that. Fair, I'm yeah. That decision. Yep. So she does that like during the war. And then in 1945, so the war is over, she leaves MGM and her contract there. And she actually forms her own production company um, with, two, awesome. with two guys named Jack Chertok and Hunt Stromberg. And they make two... <laughs> they're crazy. I know. They make two like noir films, which she stars in. And these are like much cooler roles than her other barely speaking sexy roles, right? right so right. in The Strange Woman, she is a manipulative seductress leading a son to murder his father. So she's like still hot, but she has an actual role and motivation and lines and stuff like that. Yeah, she's like hot with a personality. Exactly. And so That's then cool. the next year they do a movie called Dishonored Lady, in which she's like a formerly suicidal fashion designer and she's trying to start a new life, but she ends up accused of murder. Oh so my god, these are dark. Right, they're like much more interesting roles for her. I want to watch both of those films. Yes, however, most people uh, didn't because Hollywood at the time... <laughs> so they, at the time, they already had a grudge against they didn't like actors producing. Like, at the time, it wasn't, like, now where actors also direct and write and produce. I was going to say, now it's all they fucking do is produce yeah, shit. Yeah, but at the time, there was, like, a big divide, right? Like, actors acted, producers produced. And it didn't right. help that she was also a woman. They especially didn't like it then. And that, like, she took this initiative to say, well, if you're not going to give me the roles I want, I'm then... make the roles. Exactly. So yeah. people didn't really like that. Um, so she's not having, like, super great success with those, but she continues getting some other roles. So one of the bigger films she does is Samson and Delilah. So she plays Delilah in that. Um, and still, people basically, all I have to say about her is she's pretty. Like, a, a quote from that movie's review is, Miss Lamar is just about everyone's conception of the fair-skinned, dark-haired, beauteous Delilah, a role tailor-made for her and the best acting chore to date. So they're still just like, I like to look at you. Uh -huh. Which is, like, so frustrating because, yeah. like, you only have so much control over what you look like. Right. Like, other than, like, I don't know, what you eat and how you do your hair, like, shit like that. Like, stuff that, like, doesn't totally matter. Like, that's all fucking genetics. Like, she literally didn't right. she earn She just happened to be that. born very pretty. Right. And that's got to be so frustrating because it's, like, this is literally nothing about who I am. Like, as an actor, as a whatever as an artist like you're just yeah. looking at something that i haven't had to like really work towards right exactly but she does a couple more movies and she starts to kind of get less famous around then um so she guys goes kind of like out of vogue right she ends up in italy in the 50s and plays um she's in a movie called loves of three queens in which she plays all three main roles and oh, what? She, that's cool as fuck. yeah so she also produced that movie, but it really didn't do well. She lacked a lot of experience as a producer for such a big undertaking. And so she ended up losing millions of dollars on the movie. And so yeah. it's like she took all this initiative, but sometimes it didn't work out for her. So she did ultimately not secure distribution for the movie and just lost all this money on it. Ugh. And then... In 1958, she does a thriller called The Female Animal. Um, mm. And that's the last film, like, distributed film that she's in. She was signed in 1966 to do a movie called Picture Mommy Dead, but she collapsed oh on God. set from nervous um, exhaustion, and so she was let go and has not done a movie, never did a movie again. So wow. 
1937 to 1966 are kind of her active Hollywood years. Okay. Um, now I'm going to talk about marriage and kids. Yes. So she was married six different times. Wow. So the first one is our friend Mansandle. In, Man sandal, there yeah, he is. Yeah, He's in the back, and better than ever, baby. <laughs> but not. Um, like I mentioned, I found a bunch of things that said. So they all said he was a prominent fascist. So yeah, no. But I saw some things that said he was anti-Nazi, and then he inherited a weapons factory from his family, and that factory equipped Hitler. So it was like, even if at some point he was. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that because post World War One, Germany and Austria basically, well, Germany especially, could only have a limited military with like yeah. this only certain amount of weapons. I think I'm just totally speculating on this, but there's probably a good chance that there had to be that like tied level because Hitler was also Austrian. And I feel like it makes sense if his weapons were also being produced in Austria because eventually in the 40s or sorry, the 30s, there's going to be the Anschluss, which is like the annexation of Austria, basically, as a part of Germany. So I think it does make sense. And I think I was reading to her parents, because she was only 18. which is Yeah, she was really young. Yeah, and he was 33, which is like a big age difference, but still, like, um, her parents were like, we really don't like this. And she's like, well, that's too bad, I do. So, listen, she was headstrong, and she did what the fuck she wanted, and then she realized she fucked up and was like, well... I got to get out of this. Yeah, exactly. That's what I have. Like, he was super controlling, and it's pretty widely believed, and she has implied that, like, the reason she left was to get away from him. It wasn't entirely like, I'm going to go to Hollywood and be a star. It was like, I need to start over somewhere else. Yeah. So she gets to Hollywood. She marries a man named Gene Markey. And so they're married from 1939 to 1941. He's a screenwriter and producer, so, like, Hollywood guy. And they, at some point during their marriage, adopt a son named James. Hmm. Okay. So let's just, we'll keep that in our brain for later. Oh, God. Um, they split oh, up. And a couple mar- a couple years later, she marries a man named John Loder. So they're married from 43 to 47. So during the time um, that she's doing some of this, like, war bond stuff, they're married. They have two more children. Um, so she has three children now. She has James, the adopted son, Denise, and Anthony. Okay. Um, she has a marriage to a guy for a single year in 1951 to two, um, named Ted Stoffer, who's like a nightclub owner, a restauranteur, a band leader, that sort of guy. Okay. Her longest marriage is to a man named W. Howard Lee. Um, so he's a Texas oil man. He later married another, <laughs> like... Sounds like it. Yeah, he later What's married another... W. Howard Lee? W. Hi, Howard Lee. I'm w. Howard Lee. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, what I'm imagining. With, like, a big-ass fucking hat. Yep, and a random thing I saw is that when they were married... So this was 53 to 60, so, like, the end of her career. They designed and opened a ski resort together, and he got it in the divorce. So he was left wow. with, like, this ski resort to run. Huh. Then this that's is, good or bad. Yeah, I unclear. This is <laughs> Damn, my favorite. I didn't the ski resort. <laughs> her last husband is Louis J. Boyce. Um, and that was her divorce lawyer from her previous marriage. <laughs> so when she divorces W. Uh, Howard Lee, <laughs> she's the lawyer. This woman's a fucking queen. That's uh, yes. insane. Um, and that is that lasts until 1965, and she remains unmarried the rest of her life. 
Um, so she kind of has a bunch of pretty much back-to-back marriages with maybe a couple years in between them. She has three total children, um, adopted son named James, Denise, and Anthony. And then after 1965, she's no longer married. Okay. So I will pause there, um, and we can talk about some of her other cool stuff, and then I'll do her later life at the end. Yeah, perfect. So we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit. Yeah. I wrote, LOL, here's where I once again attempt to talk about science, because, like, how the fuck do we keep picking these people? (laughs) We keep having to talk about scientific shit. It's fine. I'm going to just do a really basic overview from, like, a like a mod podge of sources that I got, um, basically trying to find the easiest way to describe what I'm about to describe. Okay. So not only was Hetty beautiful, she was also brainy as fuck in her spare time. She basically worked on various inventions and hobbies. And I thought it was really funny that you said she was like bored all the time because I feel like this is a perfect example of like when you have a student who just like doesn't want to engage and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But in the actuality is like nothing. They're just way smarter than probably you are as the teacher right. also. They're bored. And so they just like check out. They, they're bored. Yeah. So that's basically what ends up happening with her. So in her spare time, she works on these different inventions and hobbies, including um, she made a tablet. I wrote a table. <laughs> you did. Yep. Water. I did wonder. Yep, but it's. But it's, <laughs> and you're like, ew, she drank the table. I, was, I was just trying to think like, why? Why was she tablet? like, what if you could take the table? And dissolve it in water. (laughs) It's like, that would be so useful. (laughs) Um, So no, it was a tablet that would dissolve in water to basically create a carbonated beverage, which she tried and invented. And she said herself it was not successful. And it basically just tasted like Alka-Seltzer, which is what it kind of was. (laughs) Right. um, She also created an improved traffic stoplight, which is random, but also cool as fuck. Again, I don't really know how it was updated, but it was. So... One of the only people that really knew about her inventive spirit was this man named Howard Hughes. And he was an aviation tycoon. Like Howard Hughes, Howard Hughes. I don't know who that is. Do I know Uh, who that is? Leonardo DiCaprio played him in a film? No. Who is it? Yes. In The Aviator. Oh, I've never seen that movie. Yeah. And he was like, I don't know. I feel like he was like a weird recluse or something like that. And he had long fingernails. That's all I remember. But okay, uh, so probably it's got to be because he, yeah, he was like a big inventor business guy. Yes. Then yes, it's, then it's Howard Hughes, Howard Hughes. I don't know who that is. Like, okay, but yes, it's him. So he's cool as fuck in the sense that like, first of all, they call him an aviation tycoon. And I love the word tycoon because it makes me think of roller coaster tycoon. And I fucking love that video game. I I have regrets. I just Googled to make sure I was right. And I found his fingernails were two inches long and his toenails grew and grew until they resembled yellow corkscrews. I'm done. Excuse me what he was like a crazy recluse but he was also like this crazy like aviator inventor guy anyway carry on i i mean i can't i have to google fingernails now (laughs) i don't see him is there a picture i did not click the pictures i just wanted to make sure i was right i found one and i wish i had it okay so howard hughes yeah howard hughes howard hughes that guy (laughs) he and hetty dated which i thought was interesting um I was going to make a joke, but I don't think I can because there's too many people I know that listen to Oh, no. (laughs) I'm just going to say I don't think I would ever want to date a guy with fingernails that long. Yeah. That's it. So anyway, Hughes was advised by Hetty to redesign his airplanes to be more streamlined. And I guess what Hetty did was she sort of researched, like, the fastest birds and fish that she could find and said, like, your planes are fucking clunky. You need to redo them. Like, if you make them sleeker... 
it'll work better and they'll fly faster. And what do you know? She was right. So Hughes really like appreciated that. And he also basically like quote, put his team of scientists and engineers at her disposal saying they would do or make anything that she asked for quote. So like, yeah. So he knew that she was smart and he was like, here's my team of whatever the fuck you could need. It's um, Pierre Curie vibes. It is. That's what it made, that's what it made me think of. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally wrote, ladies, gents, whoever, get you a man, person, woman, whatever that will do this yep. for you. Cause this is fucking couple goals. This is like yeah. the inventor's version of Belle getting the fucking library from Beauty and the Beast. Anyway. Yes. I digress. So anyway, during World War II, Hetty had learned that torpedoes were um controlled by the radio waves. And so again, she knew a lot of the basic workings of a lot of these like munitions and shit because she was married to man sandal. So she, <laughs> so she figured I'm kind of picturing a man sandal standing yeah. next to Hedy Lamar, but it's fine. But like a life-size one. Anyways, That's what everyone so, looks like next to Hedy Lamar to be fair. Basically. <laughs> you're absolutely right. We're all just man sandals next to Hedy Lamar. That's fine. Um, so she discovered that, the torpedoes could actually be jammed or set off course based on interfering radio 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 waves. I don't know how those things work. So this is how it works. Basically the radio waves were essentially what controlled the torpedoes to go where they needed to. But if you could intercept those, you could actually steer the torpedo off course or like jam it, which is like not going to be super helpful. So she said, what if you could hop radio frequencies and like your signal couldn't be tracked or jammed or stopped? What if you could literally like literally jump from radio signal and still control the torpedo? So together with her friend, George Ant Hill, I want to call him Ant Hill. Mm-hmm. We'll just call him Ant Hill. So Ant Hill, yep. who is a pianist and a composer, they worked to make the idea happen. And they drafted designs for a device that did this. And um, Ant Hill succeeded in synchronizing a mini piano mechanism with radio signals. And so together, they basically established the frequency hopping system and patented it. Pa- patented it. Ugh. So the system involved frequency hopping between and amongst radio waves. So both the transmitter and the receiver would hop to new frequencies together. And by doing this, it was impossible or damn near impossible that the radio waves could be intercepted and thus the torpedo would actually find its target without being interrupted or rerouted. So is, this is so, the thing that kind of like paves the way for Bluetooth. Correct. Yeah. So um, Antil, Antil later recalled, uh, we began talking about the war, which in the late summer of 1940 was, look, uh, was looking most extremely black. Hetty said that she did not feel very comfortable sitting there in Hollywood and making lots of money when things were in such a state. She said she uh, she said that she knew a good deal about munitions and various secret weapons and that she was thinking seriously of quitting MGM and going to Washington, D.C. to offer her services to the newly established National Inventors Council, which she does try. And basically, they're like, no, we're not interested. Thanks. And so she does her own thing. So in an interview in 1945, Hetty pretty much admits that she's like, and here's the thing. She's super modest about it. So there's a very good chance that she probably did way more and was like, no, no, I didn't. Right. Um, that she did the creative work on the invention while the composer um, did the really important chemical part, quote. So, like, he made it, but she came up with it. So she wasn't too clear about how the device worked. 
but she remembered that she and Ant Hill, quote, sat down on her living room rug and were using a silver matchbox with the matches simulating the wiring of the invented thing. She said that at the start of the war, British flyers were over hostile territory as soon as they crossed the channel, but German aviators were over friendly territory most of the way to England. I got the idea for my invention when I tried to think of some way to even the balance for the British. A radio-controlled torpedo, I thought, would do it, quote. So... On August 11th, 1942, their invention was granted a U.S. patent number 2,292,387. Okay. <laughs> I had to just put that number because yes. that's crazy. Um, unfortunately, it was extremely difficult to actually implement. So it worked, but they needed to have like the support of enough like finances and also people who would use it. So who did they go to? The U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy at the time was not receptive to considering any inventions that came from outside the United States military, which I get. I know that sounds fucked up, but like yeah. you're in the middle of the fucking world war and like you have an Austrian woman who's like, here, I have this invention. And like, right. Like, well, you know, we're skeptical. You're probably not the best person. to get this Yeah. Story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so she ends up becoming a citizen in April of 1953, totally unrelated. I don't even know why I put that, but the patent expired before she could actually make any money from it. And it wasn't until later that, um, she and Antil were even recognized for their genius. So in 1997, they were awarded with the pioneer award for the, um, frequency hopping invention and her achievements basically led to wireless communications. So like, I guess the way that we communicate with pretty much everything in terms of wireless, yeah, Bluetooth and GPS and Wi-Fi and cell phones and shit, like all of that is based off of her sort of discovery of an invention of a frequency hopping machine. So the estimated amount of the industry is $30 billion, but Lamar's like estate doesn't see a single fucking penny of that because the patent expired before anybody discovered that oh. something could be done with it. So I don't think that that would have mattered for her, but it's, it's more like, you know, people are, I don't understand how this shit works, but she was like the foundation of what we can accomplish today. Like how you yeah. and I can talk today. Right. She was the foundation of that. Oh, love her. I know. It's so fucking cool. Like that's crazy. Cool. That you could even conceptualize something like that. Yeah. Once again, I feel useless. Same. <laughs> I'll just keep talking into a microphone. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'm watching the radio frequency of our recording and I'm like, mm-hmm. Heidi Lamar knew what the fuck to do with Yeah, those. she knew what this was. <laughs> I'm just like, look at the bumps. <laughs> <laughs> if I laugh, it goes up. It does. I can see what my laugh looks like. Like when I edit it, it's like, oh, here's Casey <laughs> laughing. Like a psycho. <laughs> Good. Okay. So later life. So I also have, she became a naturalized citizen in 1953. So she was Merkin. Merka. Um, Merka. So it, most of her, I also wrote later life, AKA a bunch of lawsuits. Um, she has like a very turbulent, Again, for some reason, it feels very old Hollywood glamorous, even though most of it's kind of shitty. She just has, like, a very turbulent yeah. later life. So, remember, she stopped making movies officially in 1966, when she got let go from that one film. Also in 1966, her autobiography is published. It's called Ecstasy in Me. Yes, I saw that, which is very misleading. Very misleading. She did Unless also... She did Ecstasy. Oh, I almost wonder if Ecstasy was, like, as much of a thing then. What was that, like the 80s? No, this was 66. No, 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 when when people did ecstasy oh. in the 80s. Yeah, I think so. 
Okay. But either way, she later said, like years and years later, said on Merv Griffin, the Merv Griffin show, that she didn't write this autobiography and that it was fictional. And she actually sued the publisher in 1966. Um, so early on, she had made a deal with the publisher to write this book and then said that its ghostwriter was making up a bunch of stuff. Hmm. And so she sued asking to halt publication, but she lost the suit. And then in 1967, the next year, a man named Gene Ringgold sues her, saying that the book plagiarized material from an article he'd written for a magazine. And so she gets oh. sued over it. So there's like all this controversy around the book and it's hard now to know like what is or isn't real from it. Well, there was a lot of like, even when I was doing stuff about when she was leaving Mansandle, like how she like rode away on a bike, but like, did she actually ride away on a bike? Yeah. Like, did she dressed up like her maid. Like there was a lot of like fantasy kind of shit that like she could have easily done the whole, I wore whatever jewelry I couldn't got the fuck out kind of Exactly. Thing. Yeah, so sometimes it's hard to know, like, what facts are true and what aren't if they come from this book. So then in 1966, she's arrested in Los Angeles for shoplifting. Oh, she pulls a Winona? She pulls a Winona, and those charges actually get dropped. But again, in 1991, she's arrested in Florida for the same thing. For stealing, except for stealing $21.48 worth of laxatives and eye drops. Oh, no. Yeah. So either, like, that's either you, like, really need things or you're, like, a kleptomaniac, you know, to steal those yeah, things. Like, I, mu- It must have been a kleptomaniac thing. Unless yeah. you, like, went totally broke. But I'm I don't imagining. think she, like, I don't think she was super rich, but I don't think she was steal $21 worth of laxatives poor. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. She, in that case, she pleaded no contest to avoid a court appearance. Um, and they dropped the charges as long as she promised to refrain from breaking any laws for a year, which is, <laughs> I ju- promise, just like what they do for black men in America. I was just going to say, I was like, mm, yeah, okay. This sounds like some fucking white lady shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're like old and white and famous. It's fine. So she starting in the <laughs> 70s. Sorry, it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not it's funny, so but there's awful. nothing else to do. She in the 70s starts going into, like, increasing seclusion. So she gets offered scripts and TV commercials and stage shows, but she turns them all down. Um, So, like, she has the opportunity to continue working. She just chooses not to and gets really reclusive. So she's not that old in the 70s. She's only in her 50s or 60s. Yeah, she's not, like, elderly. Um, in 1974, she files a $10 million lawsuit against Warner Brothers because the f- film Blazing Saddles came out and they're, sh- they use a character named Hedley Lamar that she says is a parody of her name and is infringing oh. on her right to privacy. Interesting. Um, Mel Brooks said he was flattered that she had seen his film. And <laughs> they <laughs> oh, my se- grandfather loves that movie, right? by the way. They settled out of court for some undisclosed like nominal sum. It says, mm. and a public apology to Lamar for, quote, almost using her name. Um, so they were Which being... they probably fucking were. Yeah, and Brooks... Especially knowing Mel Brooks, like... Mel Brooks said later that she, quote, never got the joke. So they probably were using her name. I don't know that you can sue over, like, a parody of you as a public figure, for the most part. Yeah. Like... If somebody wants to do a parody of me, you're welcome. Yeah. And so... Just give me money for it. (laughs) She completely retires from public life. She settles in Miami Beach, which is where I was born, but is otherwise terrible. 
Um, her eyesight is you, like her reincarnated. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. else are you reincarnated as? Oh, we talked about one, but I don't was remember. Marie Curie. I think it might have been Marie Curie. It's fine. <laughs> you got the two inventors. That's cool as fuck. Yeah, she actually died after I was born, though. So. Oh, okay. So definitely not. I think. Um, but so yeah, her eyesight is failing. She moves to Miami in 1981 and like retreats from public life. There's. Something that happens in the 90s is that this image of her won a cover design contest for, like, a software suite. You know, they outsourced it, and people could submit drawings, and this one of her won. And it gets put on all these boxes of the software, because software used to come in boxes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Do you remember that? (laughs) You got, like, a box, and it had a CD and a booklet and all this stuff. And so when you bought, like, whatever this software was, it had a drawing of Hedy Lamarr on it. If you're under 15 and listening, I don't know why, first of all. And second of all, <laughs> you used to have a certain room where you had to keep the computer. Yeah. And they mailed <laughs> you the CDs for like AOL. Every time it updated, they mailed you a new CD. Yep. Also Netflix. Same thing. Although yep. actually people still use that. Yeah. Netflix isn't a software. So that's a little different, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. That's true. but yeah, software used to come in a box and it had this picture of her on it and she hated it. And she sued the company for using her image without her permission. Which uh, is totally fair. I'm sorry. It I think is. It's like, however, I think it was an image from a movie. And so the company uh, countered she didn't own the rights to the image. Yeah, they're right. It's, they reached. This is why I'd be a bad lawyer. Yeah. Jump to it. They reached an undisclosed settlement in 1998. So they again settled out of court. So it's like, she's right. She's also a little bit lawyer happy. I feel like she's just like, no one ever speak about me again. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> we're in some movies. <laughs> this is awkward. I hope we don't get a letter that's like, hello, you're receiving this re- message. Oh because <laughs> you have done a podcast about Eddie Lamar. Yeah. And we're like, fuck. <laughs> so um, in 2001, this is where the good bombshell shit happens. So oh I'd like God. to go back. You'll remember she first married Gene Markey. And during oh, no. their I'm marriage, so terrified of what you're going to say. Okay. Go ahead. She married Jean. They adopted a son named James. When oh, she yeah. left Jean, she married a guy named James. Um, and wait, they wait. right was that his name? Let me double check that. John. Yes, John. John sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. So she she marries Jean, adopts James. They get divorced. She marries John. Well, in 2001. It mm. comes out that James is John's son. So she, what? while she was married to Jean, she had an affair with John and gave <gasps> birth to James. But they <gasps> kept it hidden and said he was adopted. And now I don't know if Jean knew this or not, right? But she says, because otherwise I don't know why she wouldn't just say they were having a baby together, her and Jean. What? So in 2001, he finds oh. this out. James does. James finds out his father is actually his his stepdad, the father of all his other siblings. And his his adopted mom is his biological mom. Yes. And so what? he believed he was adopted for a long time. And then they don't speak for like years and years and years. Like they're completely estranged after that. Holy shit. That's amazing. Yes. So that's like oh, my, my like chills. I know. It's like so fun. It's like, oh, that he wasn't adopted after all. He was the, and then she married his dad and had two other kids, but never told him. Um, I mean, poor James, because like you probably feel like a whole fucking outsider, but actually you're literally like you're related yeah. to your siblings more than you would have been. Oh my God. Yeah. I also, I, there was some very confusing information where like, 
I saw both that he finds this out in 2001 when it becomes public and that he found out when he was 12. And okay. it's, I think he found out that he wasn't adopted when he was 12, but maybe found out who his father was later. Either way, they're estranged. Which seems like the opposite because like, yeah. normally you're like, what do you mean I'm adopted? Exactly. <laughs> but now it's like, you're actually not adopted. What a right. fucked up thing. Oh my God. And so they're estranged for the last like 50 years of her life. I thought you were going to say something fucked up. Like she married James. No, no. <laughs> he's just like, like no. <laughs> he's the child of her next husband. It's all very weird. Um, but so they're like completely estranged. She left him out of the will and he actually sued for control of her estate as the oldest child. Wow. Um, and again, he settled for $50,000 here. Okay. I have one more sentence. That's just fucking wild. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my James god. James Loader, the son, was yeah. the Omaha, Nebraska police officer who was charged and acquitted in the killing of 14-year-old Vivian Strong in 1969. No fucking way. Yes. So, they're not talking at this time, but her son is over here, gets shot oh by James Loader, this, this man was suspended for 15 days and fired, released from jail on a bond, and then acquitted by an all-white jury. The victim was a black girl. Uh, uh, I don't have... I... Yeah, I, like, don't have words. So it's just, like, the most wild combination of information. Holy fuck. So wait, what's this guy's name? James Loder, L-O-D-E-R. Yep. Yep. And there's a shooting of Vivian Strong Wikipedia, which is where I read, like, somewhat about the crime. Um, And it was just, there was a party, I think. There was, you know, teenagers were having a party and the police got called um, on suspicion of robbery. So it was an empty house. There was teenagers there. Someone was like, there's kids in this house. And as the teenagers all started running away, he shot at them randomly. Holy shit. Um, And this girl died. And then he got acquitted. Oh my god. Fuck. Yeah. So oh. yeah. So I don't feel bad that he only got fifty thousand wow. dollars of the estate. I, I literally am stunned and decide and I don't ever shut up. Right. Yeah, no, it's just like the craziest ter- it's just like one little sentence on Wikipedia too. And I was like, I'm gonna need more information about that though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So she wow. didn't speak to him at this time, but this had happened. <sighs> And even, so as she gets older, her other two children, um, she speaks to them only by the phone, by phone. Mm-hmm. And she's she re- become one of those like 1930s has been stars that like lives in a hotel room kind of thing. Pretty much, but in her house. So they said okay. she spent up to six or seven hours a day on the phone. And so she would talk to her kids and her close friends, but would never see anybody in person, almost. That's, that's like her living in 2020. Exactly. She's in quarantine. Yeah. So she dies in Florida on January 19th of 2000. She's 85 years old. She dies of heart disease. And according to her wishes, she's cremated and her son Anthony spreads her ashes in the Vienna woods in Austria. Um, So that's sort of, she like is just a recluse up until she dies. One cool note on like a, a legacy perspective is that in November of 2020, a satellite named after her was launched into space. So it was nicknamed the Hetty. Um, and I just thought that was fun because she made like science contributions. 
I was going to say, she had, like, a lot of contributions to, like, wireless connections. So. Yeah, exactly. So that was kind of the, like, legacy part. But, yeah, she had your very, like, almost stereotypical, like, recluse Hollywood star falls off the radar kind of end of her life. I'm, I'm after- picturing her wearing one of those, like, are they called moo's? Is that where you're? Yeah. Where you're, you know, with, like, the feathers. And she's, like, got, like, her old, like, big cigarette. Yeah, exactly. Like, and she's on the like phone her, all day. She's got a full fucking face of makeup and she's like, yes, darling. Like that's yeah. basically what I'm imagining this woman. Yeah. And actually the documentary. So in 2004, a movie about her comes out that her children helped make and are in. So it's considered like real. And it's called Calling Hedy Lamar. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah. Wow. She's crazy cool. Yeah. Like, fucking tragic and right dark. It, it like she dark probably could have done so much more if she was like allowed but she also managed to do cool stuff even with all this shit and like also be a cool actress and her son's just a wash we're gonna forget that one but i'm gonna try to say that he must have been wildly damaged oh i'm sure I'm not excusing it no obviously it's like the position of power but that that person must have been very damaged. Yeah, I don't think he was, like, okay as a human. Right. Like, he was but. not well. He couldn't have been. Not with having that information and, or not having that information, but always feeling, like, a little off. Like, fuck, that's dark, man. Uh, well, if you're interested, you can always go on YouTube and watch the movie Ecstasy. Uh, it yeah. is very something. Totally worth it, though. It's it's definitely, you can see why it was, like, a big deal. Right. Um, so we got an orgasm face. We got Bluetooth. You know, this this episode covered everything. Yeah. Everything you could ask for. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> bye. <laughs> I don't know what I'm like, bye. We'll, but we'll talk next week. Uh, <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at WhatTheHistoryPodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.